Good afternoon. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. Today is Saturday, February the 18th, 2023. And it's been a very interesting week in the news in Canada. Most of it, interestingly, coming from about an hour and a half of here, I wouldn't say sort of just south of the border in the Buffalo, Niagara, Lewiston area, where Congressman Brian Higgins and former Congressman, it appears John Falacy, whoever, uh, are voicing very, very strong objections to the government of Canada as in the federal government, Canada's underused housing tax, which they are correct, could result in U.S. residents who own property in Canada having to pay over and above their normal property taxes an additional 1% of some kind of a value of the property, even though that's going to take work to figure out uh, on that. And they are uh, understandably upset. And what's interesting about this is that Canada's tax appears to be expressly based on a lack of Canadian citizenship or permanent resident status. So while the United States imposes taxes on Canadian residents based on their citizenship and or US immigration status, Canada is now imposing this underused property tax on people who are not Canadians, are neither Canadian citizens nor permanent residents of Canada. So here we have either citizenship-based or non-citizenship-based. In the limelight this week, things are heating up. And to join me in this discussion today is Tim Smith, who lives just outside Boston and who is, I would say, an expert on all things tax treaty-oriented and especially the saving clause. And we may touch on that today. But in any case, how are you today, Tim? I am uh, doing well. Well, what do you think? This new Canada underused housing? I think... Is it fair, unfair? What do you think? I think it's somewhat unfair. I am not sure why they made the decision to what I would essentially call create a new tax base, because this is actually something with John, maybe you can correct me. So Canada is saying that someone who is legally authorized to live and work in Canada, and in some cases, those visas um, are multi-year or even almost indefinite, um, but is not a permanent resident of Canada, is going to have to pay, if they own their residence, they are going to have to pay a additional property tax, quite possibly. Well, only if it's not used. Yeah. Uh, all they have to do is live in it, of course. And it's yeah. An issue. Yeah. Um, but but to back up, I'm not sure. I mean, the other side of this is is generally Canadian tax policy is somewhat hostile, let's say, to Canadian citizens who leave Canada um who become tax resident in another jurisdiction and i am not sure why i am surprised that they are giving this uh they are allowing canadian citizens who live elsewhere and do not pay canadian taxes generally 
uh, on their worldwide incomes. They are not in Russia or Canada. Why are they giving them this break to continue owning property, unused property in Canada by definition as a matter of income tax law uh, and this law, essentially this new tax, they're kind of giving them a break. And that's a group of people generally Canadian governments never give a break to. Well, you know, it's interesting uh, to hear you put it that way. Um, I think that I think that you're absolutely right on that. It is it is fascinating. Uh, normally, although I do say think for the record that Canada has a very very oppressive tax regime, um, I don't generally find it to be as arbitrary uh, as uh, what goes on in the U.S. Uh, you know, fewer carve outs generally, you know, everybody, the same tax applies to everybody. And certainly in terms of defining tax residents, I mean, it may be, may be costly to sever tax residents, but it is based on residence and a connection to the country. So this is actually a very interesting thing. I don't, I don't really know why they're doing it. I think that, uh, you know, I mean, if I were an American resident there, uh, you know, living on the other side of the border from Fort Erie or something, I'd be, I think I'd be upset about this. Yeah. Wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I would. Um, you know, to be honest, if I was uh, New York State, I mean, the, so I guess there's two issues. One is this is a federal tax and generally property taxes in both the United States and, and Canada are imposed by municipal or state governments or provincial governments. So it's a higher level of government you're dealing with. Uh, I can't say if I was a resident of New York, just on this particular issue alone, I believe New York does allow its municipalities to charge a special you mean a similar type of tax, and I believe New York City, admittedly New York City's on the other end of the state from Buffalo and Lewiston and those communities, and and of course it's a much different type of city. Probably New York City is, you know, more in common with Toronto than with uh, Niagara Falls, New York, or Buffalo. Yeah, there's all, all kinds of places in the yeah. U.S that give preference to residents on matters yes. of taxation. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, you know, all you have to do is read the Canadian snowbird forums, for example. Yeah. You know, you can use Florida as an example, et cetera. Yeah. So this is not, um, this is not, I think, a totally uncommon uh, type of tax. But what is interesting about it is that it is, uh, not based on residence. It's it's triggered by citizenship status or immigration status. Yes, I, I am not aware of, but you know, caveat. I haven't researched this totally, right? But I am not aware of any other jurisdiction that bases a an unused property tax on a citizenship or immigration status, right? I am not aware of one either. So you know, this is this is interesting, and this is of course you know, why the community of Americans abroad are, are you know, particularly uh, irritated, I think, yes. uh, by Congressman Higgins, because, uh, you know, as we all know, I mean, the United States uh, imposes its tax rules on many Canadian residents 24-7. So, it does. So, you know, while 
uh, I I think that uh, the tax is very unfair. Uh, I and I think it should be discussed. I think it I think it should be discussed in the context of all taxation based on citizenship and immigration status. Okay, now, so what's it? I mean, this guy is really he's been at this since at least two thousand twenty one. Okay, I noticed. Yeah, I I had heard him raising concerns about it when I made some trips to Washington prior to COVID. So we were, to, we were trying to be talking 2018. Actually, I actually tried to visit his office at one point. Um, so I think even at that point, he there had been discussions about this going on in the media um, and these types of complaints being raised for the U.S. side. Yeah, yeah, very, very interesting. Now, um, you know, I find it, you know, I, I mean, I think I'll I think I'll use the word comical, even though I don't mean in the sense of ridicule. I just mean in the sense of amusement that, you know, what he's doing is he's gone out and gotten Google Forms and, you know, yeah. just the way Americans abroad do. Right. You yeah. know, yeah. Complaints, you know, all this type of stuff. And it makes it seem to me like, you know, maybe if you can get him to see this is a problem of citizenship taxation generally and that. This type of stuff is wrong, no matter who's on the receiving end of it. End of it, maybe he could actually be an ally, and sort of, uh, you know, the uh, the movement in taxation. Basically. Yeah, the one thing I'll throw out where there is some example of this being used is actually in the Middle Eastern, the Gulf countries, where they give what you might consider very lavish benefits to their citizens that are residents, so people who are citizens of Qatar or the UAE can get certain benefits that are quite extensive, actually. If they are both citizen and resident in the UAE, though, let's say non-citizen residents in the UAE do not get. And I believe there's also been some discussion in the context of some of these countries possibly imposing an income tax on non-citizen residents only and exempting their own citizens well from... that's where i would expect the united states to go i mean for years i've been saying the united states is likely to go to a system of residence based taxation and then just exempt uh, all residents in the u.s in other words let the rest of the world support well them. i think the thing is the is the thing is you have to be a basically the, as I think we were discussing me and John before we started recording, the UAE is a country where like 95% of the residents are not citizens. Right. Um, and and this is, and I think Qatar is another country I, I would put in that category. So yes, I, I believe there have been been discussions in some of these very wealthy oil countries in the Middle East about taxation schemes that would be imposed on non-citizens especially would 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 basically give special breaks to people who are actually citizens of those countries that other just non-citizen residents would not get in the context of the fact preference a general preference for treating the people who live there better than the people who don't right yes or the people who live there and are citizens as well All right. Well, let, let's move back here to uh, Congressman Higgins. Now, he's been making 
you know, all you have to do is a Google search. You'll even find his Google form. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Information. But, you know, he's made some very, very, uh, you know, I think strident, uh, somewhat angry in tone speeches yeah. about this. And I get his anger. I get a sense of unfairness. And, you know, and yeah, I agree with him on that. But he, he breaks into really three categories, right, of objection. The first is that he just finds it offensive. Well, okay. It is offensive. Yes. The problem is that that has nothing to do with the law. And frankly, the longer I live, the more offensive something is, I think the more likely it is to be the law. Yes. But, but in any case, two and three, uh, number two is that it, violates, he, he says, established tax treaties. I assume he must mean the Canada-U.S. U.S. treaty, yes. And then he makes the interesting suggestion that it might violate the USMCA, or I think in Canada it's the CUSA. Yeah. Same thing. You know, the, the new free trade agreement. And let's, let's chat about each of those issues. First of all, you know, my initial reaction when I heard violating the Canada-U.S. tax treaty was, I think, similar to yours, that, well, hold on a minute. Um, doesn't that tax treaty have to do with income taxation? I think that was your reaction, right? It does. Except John reminded me of something, and this is kind of a legacy of a long period of, of Canadian tax history where Canada... And I believe in some very limited circumstances still does this for like banks and financial institutions imposes capital taxation as well as um, income taxation. In fact, I believe you the in, the first instances of capital taxation in Canada predate uh, income taxation by a couple of decades at least. I think Canada. Well, that's true. Uh, actually, in the U.S., because remember they yeah. didn't income tax for a while. But you know, yeah. let's focus more on the here and now, where we look at the current tax treaty, and the current provision of Article Two says this. It addresses the the taxes covered, which means the kind of taxes covered, and it says the convention shall apply to taxes on income and on capital imposed. Uh, on behalf of each contracting state. And then the following language is interesting, irrespective of the manner in which they're levied. Um, this capital tax, tax on capital? I mean, that's an interesting, I mean, I'll explain to you how, I mean, the income tax claims are fairly easy because you don't, really if, if you're an aggrieved taxpayer you don't really have to involve the united states government the treasury and the irs in this issue you can just bring a claim and in, in the canadian federal tax court or federal court of canada that um you know the treaty it is in conflict with the treaty and the treaty takes precedence and you'll get a judge at some point and you know we have some experience with this it can take a while a long while um eventually you will get a ruling in court that says the tax convention um you know essentially overrules the 
the actual law, the the new tax act they passed with this uh, underutilized property um, okay, but, tax. But just slowing down a second. It's, this is clearly not an income tax. Yes. It, no, it is not an income tax. So for the treaty to apply, then the only other option is it's got to be a, some kind of a capital tax, right? Yes. Okay. So, I mean, let's let's review again what this actually is. So it's a tax of 1% of the value of the property if you don't meet the occupancy standard. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, let's just, let me, uh, I mean, you know, I just looked at this this morning and this is very much back of the envelope yeah. you know, for me, but uh, let me ask you again directly in sort of a yes or no. Is the, do you regard this as a capital tax? Uh. I have a hard time. I am actually not a great expert on on capital taxes. I associate. Well, I, but let me help yeah. a little bit. Let's go to Article Twenty Three of the Treaty, okay? Yeah. Which um, very helpful to us. It's titled Capital, okay? That's yeah. Look over here. Yeah. Uh, you know, and what it says is here: a capital represented by real property, okay. So, you know, that, that seems to say that real property might be capital, right? Yes. Okay, owned by a resident of a contracting state, say uh, the United States, yeah. and situated in the other contracting state, say Canada, and maybe taxed in, in the other state, Canada. Uh, you know, I mean, my initial reaction to that, I mean, you, as we know, Tim, in the world of law and treaties, nothing yeah. ever really is what it says, yeah. but... Uh, my initial reaction to that is that uh, the treaty expressly allows that. Do you think? Or I, I I would say that based on that language, and in fact, treaties tend to take the position that income derived by someone by the income derived in the territory of one of the parties is fully taxable by that party. Okay. Now we don't have income here, though. This is just yeah. That's that's the problem, <laughs> but that's well, actually the general principle all these treaties take. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, it seems to me that at a bare minimum, all right, if somebody wants to defend the position that this does not violate the treaty, uh, you know, I think that would be an interesting place to start. And incidentally, I, I mean, you know, if there are any U.S. residents out there who you know, want to take the position that the tax violates the treaty, I'd be happy to discuss it with you. Yeah. You know, yeah. You mean, no, it's not at all uh, to say it's a complete, to make that challenge to say that is a completely bogus challenge is, is no, incorrect. I don't think it's a bogus challenge, but, but it is interesting to me. You know, I've read this treaty, God knows how many times over the years, and, yep. and I've never consciously stopped and looked at the capital thing, you know? Yeah. There's always been income issues, but by God, it's there. Yeah. All right. So, so that's uh, the second claim that Congressman Higgins is making that it violates established international tax treaties. All that can only mean the Canadian U.S. one, but okay. Um, now he's got the claim that Canada's underused property tax violates the new free trade agreement, the replacement for NAFTA, which he would call the USMCA. U.S. Mexico Canada agreement and Canada for some reason calls it the Kuzma or something Canada U.S. Mexico agreement, yeah. but it's the same thing. And you know, 
I mean, this is, have you ever tried to read that agreement? I find it terrifically difficult to read. It's, that it's terrifically difficult. But I'm not alone. Yeah. Because, wow, I mean, you know, I mean, you'd have to go into hibernation for six months to figure out what that's yeah. trying to say. Yeah. But, um, you know, being the simple-minded person that I am, I went to Article 32.3, which actually talks about the relationship between taxation and, and violations of this agreement. Uh, and what it says is, this is very interesting, okay? It, so this specifically excludes in Article 2.3 of the, of the agreement, except as provided in this article, this agreement does not apply to a taxation measure. Right. So yes. I mean, very clearly, very clearly. OK. It has basically said that we are establishing a presumption. Here, the taxation does not violate this agreement. Do you see any other conceivable way of reading that short? I mean, you know, Tim, it's such a short sentence and I yeah. understand it. Right. Yes. OK. I mean, this is almost unprecedented for me reading this reading this agreement to understand anything but it says except as provided in this article the agreement does not apply to a taxation measure that's awfully clear but it says except as provided in the article so there so it's an assumption and a presumption right that can be rebutted now another thing that it says right after that and this is fascinating this agreement does not affect the rights and obligations of a party under a tax convention. Whoa. We've had podcasts about the savings clause, right? Yes. You know, when I saw that, I thought, oh, my God, does that mean, you know, I mean, it essentially is a defense against the savings clause, isn't it? Yeah. But. And then it goes on to say, in the event of an inconsistency between this agreement, meaning the free trade agreement, and a tax convention, the convention prevails, meaning taxation prevails. I mean, this sounds exactly like the United States, where the Internal Revenue Code has become the Constitution. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, to just to, to throw out at a political level, um, notwithstanding the fact that Congressman Higgins is a Democrat, uh, I would be very surprised if the executive branch, Treasury, State Department, U.S. Trade Representative, I would be very surprised if they take any issue with what Canada is doing. Uh, they might, they generally do not have the understanding of foreign tax law that we do. Um, they don't really even understand the Internal Revenue Code, the U.S. domestic tax law as as much as people think they do, but they do know that um, there is no, they have, they have taken a position of, of, of arguing that essentially countries should be able to tax however they want. What, you know, Canada, the US, et cetera. I mean, it is somewhat hypocritical and inconsistent in some ways. Uh, it would be very difficult for, let's say, another country like Canada to impose citizenship-based taxation on its citizens living in the United States without cooperation from the U.S. government. And in fact, it's it's specifically prohibited that hit in, in the treaty. 
But as a general rule, I don't think you're going to see the Treasury Department or IRS intervene on the side of these resident tax, well, these I, constituents. I, I mean, because I think that, that all they really need to do is just, you know, zero in on the very simple things that, you know, yeah. you know, took me 20 minutes to yeah. find here. And, you know, it, I think the message is all right, but it, it sure is not going to be easy, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and I was writing this post yesterday and I updated it. Uh, the first version of the post, I didn't bother going into the, uh, you know, the text of the treaty. Yeah. Then I updated it. But before I updated, I, I asked, I, I, I hypothesized some questions. Let's just run through these because I think that most of them are actually answered. So the first question I thought of was, to what extent can, do or can, the provisions of the Canada-U.S. tax treaty violate USMCA? I think we've answered that. They don't. Yeah, they don't. Okay, and, you know, that's very clear from the statute. Then the second one I asked, uh, without considering tax treaties, to what extent can the laws independently violate the provisions? And I, I've got some ideas on that that I'll share with you in a second. Um, but then I sort of threw this out, if, and I don't know that it, I don't think it does, but if the Canada underused property tax violates provisions of USMCA or the treaty, then wouldn't the general principles of U.S. citizenship taxation violate it for the same reasons? Yes. All right. Yeah. Okay. Now, so specifically, then I asked, the savings clause of the Canada-U.S. tax treaty, uh, is that within the terms and spirit of the USMCA? And I think the answer is that it clearly says the treaty prevails, right? Yes. The tax treaty prevails. So that one's solved. But here's one. And I don't want to get too far off topic with this, but here's where I think there might be a possibility of using this. The question was, does the U.S. punitive taxation treatment of Canadian mutual funds as PFIX violate any rules under this USMCA? Now, this is interesting because if you look at Article 17, it talks about financial services. Also, yes. if you look under the 32.3, the taxation rules, 17.3 is a carve out to the rules. Okay, interesting. Yes. In other words, Taxation does matter, you know, in the in the area of financial services. So, you know, let's say you've got Templeton Growth Fund, right? Yes. You, know, you buy it in Buffalo. It's not taxed punitively, but you buy it in Canada. It becomes a PFIC, right? Yes. Does that seem to you, just on a gut level, does that seem to you to violate the spirit of this? It community? does. It does. And I should add PFIX in mutual funds that the fact that the PFIC rules are used as a trade barrier Good. is a law is something that has been discussed for a very long time, as long as I've been involved with this issue, which is now well, over I, 10 you know, years. I wonder if, you know, maybe Congressman Hagan shouldn't join with this movement to, you know, argue that the U.S. punitive taxation of Canadian mutual funds violates this free trade agreement. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's definitely a political argument that, you know, I guess the question is if if Congressman Higgins wants some type of exemption based in law or uh, the Canadian government to change policy, for his constituents as he sees them, well, what is he offering to Canada for that? Well, the, the short answer is he's offering nothing. Okay. Yes. 
Um, Even he must realize that he must offer something more than nothing. Maybe he doesn't, but let's let's put it this way: without the support of the Treasury and the IRS, he really does have to offer something more than nothing. Well, that that may be your view. My view is that I don't think he understands these issues well enough to know. You know, to even yes, that is co- that is correct as well. I mean, he's yeah. just saying this. Is, oh my God. Yeah, my constituents are being discriminated against. Yes, they are. I would agree with him on. Yes, and I, you know, I think it's interesting that he, you know, he's so, uh, you know, he's so tenacious on this. I mean, you know, this is very, very interesting. Um, okay, so what he's done, right? So we know what his objections are. So apparently, President Biden is coming to Canada uh, next month. Yeah, visit with. Prime Minister Trudeau. Um, and apparently he's asking for Secretary Blinken to raise this uh, as an ear, as a Canada-US irritant. Yes. Uh, at this uh, meeting in next month. What what are your, your thoughts on that? <sighs> um, I suspect the invite the advice within the interagency process, which is basically someone who who works for Secretary Blinken will ask someone at the Treasury what to do, because again, this is more of a taxation issue and not a State Department issue. And they do Treasury and State do have different cultures, so to speak, but they do generally try to work together. I think uh uh, you know, maybe I guess we could find some examples or they haven't necessarily had the most consistent policy. But I think the advice of the Treasury will be not to bring it up that to, you know, to, uh, you know, blow Congressman Higgins off, even though he is a member of of President Biden's party. Um, well, you know, I, is he not a member of the Ways and Means Committee? He might be as well. I, you know, I think that may be if you want to look it up while we're talking. Yeah. I mean, that would give him definitely some clout. But, but I have an idea here. You know, what's fascinating is at its core, basically, basically, Congressman Higgins finds this objectionable because it's a ta- because it's a a tax based on citizenship, right? Yes. And all these Americans in Canada find the U.S. tax objectionable because it's a tax based on citizenship. So you know what I think would be a great idea. And maybe this And let me let me let me explain, clarify why it is a tax based on citizen. Is this is not a tax as simply being imposed on non-tax residents of Canada generically. If you are a Canadian citizen who is a non-tax resident of Canada living in the U.S., for example, or Europe or wherever, and you own, you know, underutilized property or whatever the term is, you are exempt from this tax, which is actually quite, as I explained earlier, quite remarkable because, you know, Canada tax, Canadian tax policy tends to be fairly harsh towards Canadian citizens who live outside the country. I mean, not not, not even so much. It, it, there is no one. You could argue under the U.S. system, there are these groups like retirees abroad that benefit 
from being it U.S. citizens. Of tax residents, not, yes. not so much who benefits, but, but you're yep. right. I think it's very important to distinguish that this tax, this Canadian tax, is a tax based on citizenship and immigration status, and neither citizenship nor immigration status is relevant to the rules of tax residency for Canada, yeah. right? Yes. And, you know, and I had, when I wrote a first post on this a couple weeks ago, it occurred to me as I was writing it, you know, I just write these things and get these ideas as I go along. But but it occurred to me that it may incentivize people to get Canadian citizenship. You know, yes, they want to leave the country. I mean, wow. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a reason. And it might discourage people from renouncing, taking the procedural step in Canada, renouncing their permanent resident status. Yes. As well. So this is interesting stuff. But here's my thought on this. So. You know, Congressman Higgins is a passionate man, and I think his head is in the right place. The taxes based on citizenship are wrong. I think his heart is in the right place. He's clearly trying to help his constituents. But bottom line is he thinks citizenship taxation is wrong. Now, we've got all these other people on the other side of the border who also think citizenship yes. taxation is wrong. So my thought is, why not? At the Biden-Trudeau meeting, okay, why not organize a mass rally and bring all of or many of Representative Higgins and himself to Ottawa and join with a number of- I think that's a great idea. As a mass demonstration, a unified front against citizenship taxation- Yes. And people on both sides of the border. What do you think, Yes, I think that's a great idea. Would could I get you to take charge of the organization of this? <sighs> you, that might be a tough ask. When is the summit going to be? That way you'll come back to Canada for a while, right? Yeah. Yeah. When it when is the summit going to be? I don't know. Okay. But it's sometime in March. All right. I do work now. I'll work a lot more full time than I was oh, before. No, no. That's gonna get in the way of your learning and your study and your advocacy. Yeah, but we, we, we'll see. I, I think that's an interesting idea. I think no, it, seriously, what do you think yeah. of the idea? I mean, y- yes, yeah, unity, all of these yes. together in one place, united, yes, behind the principle that citizenship yeah. taxation is wrong, it hurts Americans, it hurts Canadians, it hurts yeah. everybody. Yes, I think it's a good idea. All right. Well, I think we need to work on that and uh, we need to get in touch with Congressman Higgins. And we need to, you know, extend him a special invitation to this this rally against citizenship taxation in yeah. Canada. I think it'd be a great idea. Okay. So it's hard to believe that we'd be having a podcast about something like this. I mean, you know, the weird way these things develop, right? Well, I think there's uh, you mean I think, and now we're going to, now we're, we're kind of passing the mark where podcasts were getting too long. <laughs> I I think there's always been, in terms of members of Congress, there's always been more flexibility than you might assume. Uh, I, I don't think people, I think there's a certain instinct to, um, I think there's some people in Washington that are very ideologically rigid on this issue. Like the, I don't know if you, I don't know if the people listening remember that Elise Bean, who 
who was kind of one of the architects of the present policy. There are people like that who are very ideologically rigid and basically, you know, their message to all outsiders go to hell. Um, I think we should invite her to Ottawa. I I I would be very surprised if she <laughs> well, she would know, come. You know, Tim, it doesn't hurt to ask. No, it doesn't. Uh, but I do think there are a lot of other people that are more instincts is more to try to solve problems and have a more. I think especially it's gotten to a point where they they are not set in the current system just because it's the current system. They do realize at a certain philosophical level, laws and policies do need to change and do need to evolve over time. Uh, and I think you, I mean, it, we're going to, it's it probably open up a whole nother can of worms, but I think if you, if you do, if you do look closely at some of the, some of the discussions, especially on the, between the European side and people in Congress, including uh, former chairman, now ranking member, Neil, who was actually one of the core sponsors of ADCA way back, when um, there is, there is, I think, a, a sense of some people on the U.S. side who voted for and supported FATCA even back in the day saying, well, this is not, no law is ever meant to be forever, basically. And, and we want to continue to discuss how we can move forward in a better way. Whereas again, like Elise Bean, who's also in some of these discussions, is basically like, no, I think Facker was one of the greatest laws we ever passed. And it's yeah, as great today as the day we passed that, it. I don't know that she's ever said that she's a huge supporter of citizenship taxation though, right? I mean, they are different issues, but let's say for, for our next podcast. Yeah. And so are you gonna are you gonna donate whatever help you have? Don't you think this is an uh, an amazing I can donate help. I don't I don't want to necessarily guarantee I can come there. And virtually people who are not listeners from Europe and other places should realize um one of the ways Canada is in some ways a tax punitive <laughs> country is uh travel can be fairly expensive. <laughs> Uh, flying within Canada or flying from the U.S. to Canada. Oh, yeah. well, you know what they do, Tim? They fly into the U.S. and we'll hire a bus to pick them up. <laughs> well, right. the people in Buffalo are close. They can even... They, you know, I, they can have a pen pal. A pen yes. pal in Buffalo. Imagine yeah. that. Yes. Indians, accidental Americans uniting with yes. Representative Higgins, Buffalo residents, joining yes. hands, coming together to Ottawa to meet others in the first world protest against citizenship taxation. I think it's yes. great, don't you? Yes. All right. Well, thanks very much. And I, we will undoubtedly pick this up as it develops. And again, I'm talking with the one and only Tim Smith, who is, uh, in my world anyway, one of the great experts on tax treaties generally, and especially the saving clause. Thanks, Tim. Yes.